Samuel Rickett is a senior litigation lawyer at Faskin, one of the biggest business law firms in Canada. He's appeared at all levels of court, including the Supreme Court of Canada, and has enjoyed a long and successful career in law. We're very excited to have him on the podcast today. Mr. Rickett, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, gentlemen. And before we get into your educational background and your law career, just some general background information for what it kind of means to be a lawyer. So first off, which skills are most important for a lawyer to have? How would one develop these skills from an early age? Right. So um, I think quite clearly, if you're engaged in the practice of law, having a logical mind is very important. I think you have to enjoy crafting arguments with some precision and the use of the English language to do so. Um, Self-evident, but IQ helps as it does in all endeavors. And, um, you know, I think, again, as in a lot of endeavors, you have to have a disciplined, uh, hard work ethic. Uh, practice a law at the high level is not an easy way to make a living. And you've got to be prepared to devote time and effort to succeed at it. We often talk uh, a lot about mentorship. Uh, what are some mentors in your life that you have benefited from greatly? Well, I, I was really, really fortunate very early in my career. I, um, I was a law clerk to the Chief Justice of the uh, High Court, and uh, Bud Esty, who went on to the Court of Appeal and then the Supreme Court of Canada was the Chief Justice that, at that time. And um, he was just an outstanding jurist, extremely hardworking, uh, a great mentor. When I was finished, helped me get my first job with my next mentor, innovative thinker, thought outside the box. So uh, you couldn't get a better inspiration for your first job in the practice of law. And plus, um, hoping to be a litigation lawyer, I got a chance to see what it's like on the other side of the bench with the, the high court judges and see how they react to not just the arguments in law, but the equities of the case, the factual background, and recognizing that they are uh, individuals as well. They're not just the Oracle at Delphi. So, you know, a, there's some inter, inter, interpersonal things that come into play there. And um, so it's important to keep that in mind. So there's like that element of like seeing a uh, different perspective, especially when you're very young. Is there any like specific pieces of advice that you took away or maybe a line that stuck with you? Uh, not a particular line, I don't think. Um, I mean, again, after I finished with Bud, I ended up being with Claude Thompson, who was uh, one of Canada's top litigation counsel. And he was the mentor to not only myself, but Others like Gavin McKenzie, Jeff Leon, uh, and a long list of uh, people who were successful. And, um, you know, he had very high integrity. Uh, one of the things he used to say to me, because, you know, in the practice of law, you act for some bad people who've done some bad things. And uh, you know, the question then is, well, how do you, how do, you do that? And uh, one of his lines was, your robes are never for sale. That is, your ethics never are compromised and uh, not personally and not to the court. And I, that's something that always stuck with me as a good guidepost. Um, 
for the most part in my practice, a lot of the people that you deal with are high integrity, highly intelligent, trustworthy. And um, unfortunately, as in some professions, uh, it's the bad apple that gives us uh, you know, a bad reputation. I think that's quite truly the exception in the law business. Uh, there are some bad apples, unfortunately, as there are in any endeavor. But um, having that high moral standard and uh, ethics is, I think, uh, an absolute key to having a long and successful practice and a good reputation. And of course, these kind of values translate into any other profession as well, like the way you conduct yourself in an ethical manner where you're trustworthy would be helpful no matter what you end up pursuing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from that, you know, you take in a big firm like ours, mentorship, and which is, I know, one of your topics, helping others. Um, and also, as I got more and more senior, I couldn't possibly do all the hard work myself. So I learned how to identify and rely upon um, highly motivated, skilled people that could help me um, in, my, in my caseload and uh, placing a sense of trust in them um, when I knew that I could is a key to success. And I think that's, uh, some people call it leverage. Um, I call it intellectual leverage. Right, and I think it's kind of cool you mentioned uh, like trusting younger people so we recently talked with someone who says business travels at the speed of trust. So in like, as you became more senior or when you were young, like, I guess more when you were uh, younger and just starting out, how did you uh, work hard to like gain trust of the senior lawyers? Like you trust uh, the younger people today. Well, when I was a younger lawyer is a very long time ago for me now. <laughs> so uh, but I do kind of fondly remember it. And I also know the advice that I give to young lawyers when they come to the firm. And um, in a big firm like ours, it's an open door. So uh, if you run into a dark problem, particularly an ethical problem, uh, the invitation is come and talk to us, right? This, especially in litigation, if it's all black and white, it wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be in a court case. So come and talk to us, we're open always to talk to people at all levels. Having said that, particularly with junior lawyers, we, we expect them to have given it a hard think themselves before they come and ask us to do all the work we gave to them. And lastly, I'd say um, my advice to them usually is do your best work, particularly for the senior people. That's the thing that we remember. I don't really care that they spend too much time thinking about it. What I care about is when I got the work product, I was impressed. I thought, well, that's, that's excellent. Thank you. Give me a pen. I think I can sign that. Um, that's not always uh, possible in every case. And sometimes to get to that product, you need, a, you need to interact with your senior or others to get there. But in the end of the day, what people remember you for quite frequently is that excellent work product. And that should be your touchstone. Right. And as we move more into your educational background, a lot of us have questions uh, when, when we want to pursue law in the future. And big question to that is, what do you study before you study law? So what did you study prior to law in university? Why did you choose that option? Well, I actually wasn't going to go into law. <laughs> I was in Ivy pre-business 
and they let me into IV business the, the, you know, the last uh, two years. And that was my goal. But surprise, surprise, they also let me into law school after two years. And at the time that I was uh, doing that, I, um, there was not a, what they called the joint degree where you get an MBA and a law degree. So my, my instinct was, okay, well, like, they're going to get me into law school. Why did I go? And then um, uh, I'll do an MBA afterwards. Um, however, <laughs> once I got into law school, I, uh, I enjoyed it very much and did well. And I had a lot of great job offers. And I thought, well, maybe give this law thing a try. <laughs> See how it works out for me. <laughs> Worked out okay. <laughs> and so what were some so of the lessons? In terms of what I did, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I don't know if it's possible today, but um, I knew that to get into Ivy and to get into law school, that you had to have high grades. So uh, to be honest, I tended to opt to the to maximum possible courses like calculus, chemistry, geophysics, where if I had the formula correct, they had to give me 100%. If they didn't like my theory on Hamlet, you can get a, you know, 53. But, you know, in, in science courses, you're able to get very high grades. So I did, uh, I took all the prerequisites for Ivy, but I also took, as, to the extent possible, courses where I wouldn't be subject to the uh, opinions of uh, the professor and more, it was formulaic in the sense that if I got the answers right, that'd give me the grades. Yeah, smart. Don't let it be subjective. Just go for the absolute kind of courses. And so what kind of lessons your educational experience in law school, how did that inform the person you are today, apart from just, you know, understanding, learning how to be a lawyer? What kind of life lessons you learn in school that you still carry with you today? You know, for me, it's a long time ago law school. So uh, I think one of the things I figured out was that, uh, again, uh, if you want to succeed in getting high grades, which is the entry level for getting into some of the top firms, you have to have a very strong work ethic. Um, I got in there. I, I was, had not done an undergraduate degree. And when I got there, my older brother's uh, friends were in the class because they had done a, you know, a master's or a, a full honors degree. And um, I was, I have to say, it was a little bit intimidating. Um, so, but you have to get over that and recognize there's a reason you got there and um, just bear down, just bear down and, and put the nose to the grindstone and do it. Um, one, of, one of the stories I tell you people is that when I got into law school, I started reading words that I had never seen in my life before in terms of vocabulary. And I thought, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Because remember, I'd done a, a fair number of sciences. And you can either sort of do the blinder and say, well, I'll get by that and fake it. But what I did instead is I said, you know, I'm going to get an Oxford dictionary. I'm never going to go past the word that I don't understand. I'm going to look it up every time and I'm going to try and use it so I know what it means. That's just an example of don't get freaked out when adversity faces you. You can do it. You're smart, hardworking guys. You know, just stick with it and uh, don't be glib. Right. Look up the answer and get, get it as part of your uh, ammunition to move forward. I like that.
empowering. So, you know, not. Yeah, you start thinking, well, I'm stupid. You're not stupid. You wouldn't be there. So fix the problem. Figure it out. Go and talk to somebody. Look it up and make sure you've got it as part of your research that you can go forward with. And then uh, as we talk, uh, you mentioned that you're going to go into uh, business and then you switched to law and you were thinking about getting your MBA after um, because, and then, you know, you had a lot of fun in law ever since that point. Did you ever reconsider switching career path? Um, once. Uh, I never, I never obviously did go for an MBA. Uh, I think most, not this perhaps unfair, but our experience is a lot of people who do that joint degree MBA, JD, don't end up practicing law. They end up in business. Uh, not, that's not entirely true, but um, the education in law gives you the ability to think logically, create arguments. Uh, diagnose problems and then the business side allows you to be in an endeavor where you get a fair amount hopefully a fair amount of leverage for your time um, so uh, the reason I end up is that I got some fantastic job offers from top firms and um, this is an offer I couldn't refuse as they say so I never went back to practice in my in my 40s I acted for a client who was in the investment business, uh, banking business. And uh, even though I was a litigation lawyer, not a, a corporate lawyer, they asked me if I would consider taking a job as an investment banker. And I did think about it because in those days, investment bankers made a lot of money. Uh, I think things have changed slightly on that front. And, um, you know, I realized I had a young family and I was doing quite well at the practice of law. And I, I guess I just decided stick with what you know. And, right. uh, and if you're succeeding, just play the long game. Eventually it'll, it'll, uh, it'll work out for you. And that's what, that was the only point in my career where I said, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. And then just quickly, I, you know, you talked about being a litigation lawyer. Uh, did you ever, why'd you choose litigation? And did you ever consider other types of law? Yeah, early days, I thought I'd be a securities lawyer. I ended up being a securities litigator. You can see some of the cases I did, like Magda, CP proxy fight, and hostile takeover bids for companies. So I, I um, moved instead to the litigation side of it. Um, I don't think, once I was a law clerk to the chief and worked for Quad, it was so intellectually interesting. It, you know, big cases aren't in litigation because there's an easy answer. They're in litigation because it's all shades of gray. And um, the intellectual challenge is really interesting and exciting. And that's what keeps you going. And kind of moving on to your law career now, what was it like for you being a young lawyer just starting out? And what advice would you give to anyone who was starting out as a lawyer? Well, um, again, unfortunately, we get back to this issue of, of all the essentials, you know, hard work. Uh, you know, uh, I, I also think it's important to keep some form of balance in your life. You, you know, it's easy in the practice of law to uh, just work too hard. And, and, you know, there's an expression I like to use, your partners will let you work as hard as you want to. So, <laughs> so go ahead, knock yourself out. 
Um, but uh, one of the things I did um, is I, I wasn't exactly a great athlete in, uh, in university or high school, played some sports, but I, I wasn't making the varsity team. Um, I was a rock musician, actually playing three nights a week. <laughs> but but um, I found working out and having a regime of having to work out three to four times a week did so much for me in terms of my mental health, and my physical well-being, and my confidence, and um, just longevity. So uh, I think having some something outside of what you're doing that is a real joy for you. For, I, I highly recommend being physically fit throughout your life. There's no downside to that. And um, that's been uh, sort of a keystone for me to continue as long as I have actually in practice. Yeah. You still play uh, rock music? <laughs> badly. <laughs> Very badly. Uh, so what have been some of the highlights of your career? What's some of the most interesting cases that you've worked on? Well, I think I mentioned some of them. You know, I was, uh, you, you'll see it in my CV. I was, uh, I've done some hostile takeover bids, which end up going in front of the commission. Um, you know, I was on the uh, elimination of dual class shares in the Magna case when Frank Schronach cashed out. That was opposed by uh, the majority of the buy side, what they call the buy side of the street, the institutional investors, because he was getting a huge premium for shares that uh, had held a high vote. That's not something they particularly like. Uh, you know, I acted on Hollinger in respect of claims against its former uh, board of directors. That's after Conrad Black was out. Um, I've done a number of uh, special investigations, which you kind of enjoy, actually. Um, but this is where a board hires outside lawyers to investigate allegations uh, by whistleblowers for insider trading, you know, poison workplace, uh, that type of thing. Right. Um, and I, I, I saw one of your questions as a success story. I, one of the things, I had a case that went to the Supreme Court of Canada, but I lost all the way. I lost at trial. I lost at the court of appeal, and uh, honestly, I said to the I said to the client, "Look, I'll do the I'll do the leave uh, pro bono if we don't get in. There's no charge." And we got in, and uh, thankfully, after ten years of litigation, we overturned the uh, trial decision, and wow. uh, that was a, an example. At first, you don't succeed. You try, try again. Especially if you believe in it, if it tells you something's wrong about this, you persist. That's incredible. So, you know, the case was decided, and then ten years later, you're still working on it. How do you, how do you have that like will inside of you to keep going? Like, what did you like? Were you telling yourself something like every other day, or like how did you manage to keep fighting for that case? Well, I thought the decision was wrong, um, despite you know, two levels of court uh, telling me I was wrong. And um, so I just thought, you know what, let's keep trying. This doesn't make sense. Um, and so you do, when, when things like that happen in your life, you have to believe in yourself and just say, you know what, I'm going to, everybody's saying I got this wrong. I, I don't agree with it. So I'm going to give it one last shot, see what happens. And sometimes you'll be surprised that, uh, the right thing can happen for you. Yeah. 
And then talking about it a bit more, um, what did was there anything that you changed uh, when you went to the Supreme Court and it, you got it overturned? Was there like a specific new thing that you did that really helped? Or was it just like a, or was it just the um, fact that there's like new judges there? Well, to get into the Supreme Court of Canada, you have to show that it's not just important to the clients and an important issue of law. It has to be important to Canada. So uh, the change by, by the time we got there was, I don't want to get into the details of the case, but the change was to say that this, the, the results of this decision uh, set up a punitive environment for businessmen to do business in Canada, and that's not the right kind of message that you want to have. And I think that coupled with this doesn't make sense ends up with the right result. Right. And then... Uh, just a, I guess, segue into advice for us. I know you've already given us a lot of advice uh, through your stories and advice that you give to young, um, uh, I guess, lawyers coming into the field for the first time. But for us, not necessarily maybe pursuing law or don't know what to pursue for a post-secondary study, uh, how should we choose that? And do you have any advice for that process? Yeah, so... Um... I'm going to sound like one of your parents now. So you're all probably coming close to that period in time when you're going to go to university. Many of you will be going away to a university. I know John's going, thinking of going to Western, for example. And it's the first time in your life you're not living with your parents. You're living with some buddies at university or you're in residence, and it's the best time of your life. <laughs> and uh, which I, you should fully enjoy. But the one thing you got to keep in mind, you got to keep your grades up. So yep. the demarcation point in university is the guys and girls who love the party and are fun people and all that. But when the crunch comes, they don't stop. And when the crunch comes for your essay and for exams, you go, to, you got to go lock yourself up. I told your parents this, John. I, for me, uh, I used to go and lock myself up in the medical library where they had brains in jars and stuff like that. There was nobody there. And it was also very, very quiet. So it was like, okay, this is a good place. Nobody's going to bother me here. Um, so I, this advice is like, have a great time. But yeah. if you want to get into law school or you want to get into Ivy, you've got to keep your grades up. Yeah. So it seems like there's kind of like a, a kind of threshold that you have to meet in order for you to kind of enjoy yourself and to really get all you can out of university, you need to put in the work as well. Yeah, you can do both. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, particularly the kind of school that you guys are going to uh, teaches you to come out a very well-rounded individual. And, um, you know, that's key. It's like, okay, you can play sports, you can have a great circle of friends, have some fun, but when the crunch comes, you got to get the grades. Yeah. The other thing I would say, for, particularly in relation to law, is um, is that, yeah, you have to have grades. And, and they're also now very much looking for, you know, a varied background in your CV where you've done some charitable work or something that's more exceptional than just going to school. And then lastly, I would say in terms of trying to get in, there's a, something called an LSAT, the Law School Admission and um, 
there, I would say that is not a test that comes naturally to everyone. So there are courses that um, prepare you to take the exam and uh, they can be very effective. And so uh, I, I recommend those. I sent my oldest son to it. He ended up being at a Quant's hedge fund instead, but he turned his back on law. But um, they can definitely prepare you and help you to write that LSAT. And uh, if you can afford it, uh, it's, it's uh, definitely advisable. Um, and, uh, you know, your, your grade should be able to improve. Like not everybody's seen 500 false premise questions in their life and you have to answer it like that. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah. So, yeah, that, so that, that was one tip I would think I'd leave with you in terms of if you're thinking about law. Uh, you know, I think in terms of other careers, you got to do what you enjoy in life. I know that sounds like a very easy statement, but make sure you're picking something that suits you, not something that everybody else wants you to do. Pick something that, you know, you'd enjoy doing this and you think you'd be good at it and then pursue it. Yeah. And for, I know for you, um, like mentors early in your career uh, were very helpful and obviously getting a job that would help a lot to have a mentor in that field. Uh, what, like, what are some things you did in university to find those mentors? You know, I, I, I don't remember having very many mentors in university. It's one, you know, you're sort of, <laughs> you're all trying to get into, if you're trying to get into medical school or IV or law school, or you're all competing with each other. Right. So I think you can find some compatriots and friends, but uh, I never personally found anybody that was my mentor per se as to how to do that. You're on your own. And, uh, you know, hopefully you, by the time you're there, you're well prepared to engage in that competition. Right. But that's what it is, particularly for law, for uh, law school and medical school now. I mean, the grades for medical school are outstanding. Uh, so uh, if that's what you want to do, well, then you're going to have to meet the test. Yeah. And then to round it off, uh, what can someone in our position do right now to set ourselves up for future career success? Well, I think probably where you are or you're and, and doing this kind of thing is important. You're, you're asking a lot of very successful people for advice in it. You can digest all of that and come up with your own game plan. Look, it, it comes back to dedication and a work discipline. Uh, IQ helps, obviously. Um, but lots of people I know who are brilliant didn't do so well because they didn't have all the other attributes. Um, look, I think being a well-rounded person that's uh, outgoing, a wide circle of friends, a uh, small circle of very trusted friends, and with, you know, having great parents. Uh, your parents probably have nothing but the, your best interests in mind. And uh, I, there's a natural reaction to not listen to them, mom and dad. But um, hopefully they're giving you some good advice and they're trying to prepare you for success in life and a launch. Yeah. And I mean, there's kind of a, there's a bit of a trade-off, right, between being well-rounded and being hyper-specialized from a young age. Where do you think, which side of the trade-off do you think 
ends up benefiting you more in the long run, being super specialized in like one area or kind of keeping your options open and being very well-rounded. There's never anything wrong with being a well-rounded individual, but on the education side, unfortunately, um, you do have to pick kind of early on. Like if you're going to get into IV, uh, you, you know this, John, they're going to work you hard and you got to get that required grade to get in. And so you just have to meet that test. I would say business course gives you a very, very wide uh, menu of what you might want to pursue in life. I mean, you could be anything from a banker to, you know, in marketing to internet commerce. It, it's a very wide uh, base uh, from which to start. Uh, once you decide you're going to be a dentist, well, it's pretty narrow. <laughs> you're going to have to get in and pass. Uh, you know, medical careers, um, you know, you start out as a general uh, course and then eventually you have to decide, are you going to specialize? And, uh, you know, in your parents' case, for example, both of them decide to specialize. So um, you can only stay general for so long. I think one of the best general courses, frankly, is business because it gives you such a wide menu to pick from. Right. But look, if you're going to go into biophysics, then like <laughs> uh, that's sort of what you're in. Quite clearly, obviously, right now, anything involved with computers and coding is uh, you'll get a job for sure. Um, it's a question of whether you like doing that. Yeah. But there's nothing but a very big and deep future in that field. And John, do you have any further questions? Uh, no, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Mr. Rickett, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, we learned a lot of really valuable lessons and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me and uh, best of luck with your future. <laughs>